Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. All right, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establish and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and and forever. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. Amen. Give your neighbor a high five. That's a good word. We could just go home right now. That was such a good word. I love this passage so much because it's not only descriptive of Jesus, it's also descriptive of his kingdom. And we're going to talk about that today. Now, you got to understand this passage of scripture is a prophetic word. It was a now word, but it was 600 years in advance. Now, Israel had become under oppression under under one of their enemies, the Assyrians, and man, they were taking them captive by droves. They were under oppression. Their lives were they, they felt like their lives were crumbling. They're, as a nation, they felt like their life was falling apart. And then this prophet Isaiah stands up in the midst and he says this, for unto us, and it wasn't some little nice little Hallmark card, not hating on Hallmark cards, Anna, but it was a, it was a declaration of God and his kingdom on the earth. And I love how he spoke it. 600 years before it was going to happen, but he said it was a now word. Come on. How many know that hope, even even if it's 600 years later, hope, you can soar with hope if you know what's going to happen. And the thing is, is he spoke this was as a now word for unto us right now. A son is given. And even though this was a prophetic word speaking again, 600 years uh, before, the hope that rose up in God's people because of the word of the Lord. Pastor Emlyn did a great job talking about the word of the Lord last week. And, and this was something that gave the children of Israel hope. And we love that we can put this on a Christmas card. And we love that, that we can reflect on it and look at it. But I'm telling you that this wonderful passage of scripture, which we're going to explore the next five weeks, tells of Jesus and his kingdom. And it tells of Jesus and his identity. Um, when Jesus showed up on the scene, how many know that there was a system in place? It was called the Mosaic law, right? And so the covenant between God and man was dictated upon man's behavior to keep a law that was impossible to keep. In fact, Hebrews tells us that it was broken from the get-go because it was impossible to keep. And so you had people trying to strive and earn the favor of God and live for God and do all these things for God. But at the end of the day, they fell short every single day. It was a system in place. It wasn't necessarily a bad system, but it was a broken system because they could not fulfill the law. They could not fulfill the expectations, the commands. And so when Jesus shows up on the scene, he says, listen, I'm not just coming as a man. I am coming as a man, but I'm bringing my kingdom with me. 
I'm going to change the system. You've been living this way, but whenever I come, I'm going to institute a new government. This was the old government. Here's the new government. Are you guys with me? And I love it that it says this in Isaiah. It says that the government will be on his shoulders. See, the old government was on our shoulders. What I have to do. What I have to bear, the sin that I have to bear, the mistakes that I have to make up for, the shame that I have to climb up out of. And Jesus, the prophecy was this, is that when Jesus comes, the government will be on his shoulders. Now you gotta understand something about Hebrew culture. When we're talking about shoulders, it is talking about, about the place where burdens are laid. So when Jesus came, he didn't come to give you another burden of religion. In fact, he's like, listen, he asked the people, he's like, he's like, what, what is it about? What's the most important commandment? You're real good at this government that we're living in right now. You're real good at this system. What's the most important thing in this system? Right? And they said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He said, that's right. We're going to keep that one. And then he says this, and love your neighbors yourself. And the whole law, the whole government is fulfilled in that. This is my requirement of you, love Love me back and love those around you. And I will bear the weight of your sin. I will bear the weight of your mistakes. I will bear the weight of your shame. The whole government is on my shoulders, not yours. Everybody say this. It's not my problem anymore. Look at your neighbor and say, it's not your problem anymore. It is not your problem anymore because it's on his shoulders. It's on his shoulders. How many know that the king, when we speak of a kingdom, we, it's hard for us to understand what the kingdom is because we're, we're raised in the West, we're raised in America, we're used to a democracy, right? We're, we're used to being able to go to a, a, a booth and vote and hope that that matters. But in the kingdom, you don't get votes. You don't get to vote. Jesus isn't the president of the universe. He wasn't elected by the people. He was appointed by God. And so if, I, if we want a blessed life, if we want, we want a life that, that is full of the goodness and the glory of God, then what we need to do is we need to come into alignment with a kingdom that's already established. See, God doesn't change because he doesn't need to change. Because he has a perfect kingdom. He has a perfect system. But it's not really a system. It's all based in a perfect man. His government really isn't a system. It's a man. And so when you came to Jesus, m- most of us, what we do is we say, okay, Lord, what's the list? The right and wrongs. And there are right and wrongs, by the way. Don't make no mistake about it. The, the New Testament is filled with do's and do nots. But what we tend to do in our walk is we go, okay, God, here I'm in for this Christianity thing. I'm going to serve Jesus. What's the list? What can I do and what can't I do? Can I tell you that that is not God's primary objective in your life, what you can and cannot do? I know that you would like the government to be that way sometimes, because what we tend to do is we tend to start taking the things that we've done right and the check marks that we made, and we go, oh, yeah, look at this, look at this, and then ignore the boxes we didn't check. Right? And then what he said is, he said, you know what? It's not going to be about your works anymore. It's not going to be on your shoulders anymore. It's going to be on my shoulders. I'm going to carry this kingdom thing. So your vote don't matter. It's irrelevant. 
you yield to what he's established or you say no to it? And I love that it says at the end of this passage, it says of the increase of his government and peace, there'll be no end. See, when Jesus established this new system 2,000 years ago, Jesus died, yes, for your sins, but Jesus brought a kingdom with him. When he established this kingdom, it's an unending kingdom. It doesn't, it, it won't change. Now, it's not in its fulfillment yet, but this kingdom, this mandate, the, the way that this thing works, it doesn't change. It's all about knowing Jesus and loving him back. That's what it's about. How do we yield? By loving him back. And when you love someone, there are do's and don'ts, right? Come on. You're in a covenant, right? But it's on his shoulders. Y'all okay? So it's not a democracy. And let me, let me also say this. We call him king. Yes, because he is the king. But we're also sons and daughters. And so he's still our king. But he's also Papa. He's also dada. Right? He is also papa. So we call him kings. We're his sons and daughters. So we are under his rule as a kid, right? I mean, my kids are, let's just be real. They're under my rule. When you live under my house, you live by my rules. You're under my rule, right? Parents, this isn't a lesson on parenting today, but they're your rules. They're non-negotiables. They're non-negotiable. You, you get to decide. You get to decide as a parent. I know, I know, sometimes it doesn't feel like you get to decide, but you get to decide. I know, I'm there with you. I know we're bending them all the time, yeah. But get this. We're also sons and daughters. So we're, we don't just, we're not just ruled by him. We're ruling with him. So there is a mandate on our life because of our position, because you're a son, because you're a daughter, you're called to rule and reign with Christ. Come on. You want to know what that looks like? Look how Jesus served. See, Jesus served like a king. And he ruled like a servant. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to rule like a servant. That's how you rule. So what does dominion look like? Washing somebody's feet. Loving on somebody that needs to be loved on today. That's how you rule this kingdom. So let's talk about this man, this wonderful Jesus. And again, the government is really on his shoulders. It's all about Jesus. Wonderful Jesus. Everybody say that. Wonderful Jesus. I love that song that we sing this morning. Jesus, Jesus, right? It's just this, when we sing that, it's just a, we're like, oh, yeah. Come on, just all day. You're going to be doing that for the rest of the week. Yeah, that's right. Come on, girl. Wonderful Jesus. You know, it is the most wonderful time of the year, right? Even pagans will be like, oh, yeah, baby Jesus, Right? <laughs> You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's the most wonderful time of the year because Jesus gets a lot of attention. Come on. It's the most wonderful time. Yeah. The word wonderful in the, in the Hebrew language is pala, if I'm getting that right. Pala. And that, is, that means a miracle, a marvelous thing, wonder 
full. Everybody say full of wonder. So when we talk about Jesus and we say he's wonderful, because that's our topic today, Jesus is wonderful. We're not just saying he's wonderful. He's good. He makes the darkness tremble. Yes, he's awesome. We're also saying he is full of wonder. We're saying that he blows me away. Every time I look at him, I'm just like, whoa, he's full of wonder. And people are like, what's wrong with you? You're like, I just realized something about Jesus that I never realized before. And then you look at them and they're like, and you know why? Because they don't have any more wonder. They lost their wonder. The only way you quit... The only way you lose your, your wonder in Jesus is to quit looking at him, by the way. So when we speak of, of wonder, we're speaking of a marvelous thing. We're speaking of, of being stricken with astonishment. That's why when we, we sing songs or we pray and we fill the Holy Spirit in, in, in that moment, the reason why we're just like, oh, and the reason why we live for that so much is because in those moments, we're stricken. We're like, whoa, right? We're exhilarated. And maybe you don't express yourself that way. I should sometimes. Um, not always. Not all the time. I'd be kind of annoying. But, but you should sometimes. You should just, you just explore the whole gamut. Well, that's not the way I am. Great. It's the way he is. So let's get you out of you. Sometimes I need to get me out of me. Come on, let's just be real. I know, I know, I, need, I know Josh Brown must decrease. Come on. So what do we speak of when we speak of Jesus being wonderful? First of all, we speak of a wonderful gift, a wonderful gift. And I love the way this passage starts off. It says, unto us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. He wasn't earned. It wasn't unto us a son is earned. It wasn't a wage was granted. It was a son is given. God so loved the world that he gave. Jesus is the most wonderful gift. See, Christmas is about gifts. Not the ones that are under a tree. But the gift of Jesus. Christmas is about receiving, not receiving something material, but about receiving Jesus. Have you ever got a wonderful gift, right? I mean, we've all got the gift that we're like, oh, that's really cool, you know, and it stays in the box that you put it in on Christmas and it sits in your room until you decide to get rid of it three months later when you're doing spring cleaning. You know what I'm talking about? But sometimes you get a wonderful gift. I remember in in 1982, in March of 1982, you know, I was alive. I know it's hard to imagine. I was alive in 1982. And um, I know, you're like, wow, yes. And so I remember this gaming console came out. We've been playing this thing called Pong for years. I don't know why we played it. It was the most boring thing in the world. But they had a system come out called Atari. And it had been out before that. And there was... You know, I grew up in the video game era, so you went, they had like arcades that you would go to, and you would spend like $5, and you'd be there all night. It was awesome. It was just the coolest thing ever. It was way better than looking at iPhones. Way better. And we, at least I remember it that way. And so we would go in, and we'd spend all this money, and there was a game that was around at that time that, that, that was legendary called Pac-Man. You guys remember Pac-Man? Waka, waka, waka. 
Well, in 1982, Pac-Man came out on Atari. So I remember on Christmas Eve in 1982, little Josh Brown going over to my dad's house Christmas Eve night and walking in to the living room. And there was this, the TV with kind of looked like that with a dial on it. It had this crazy box on the back. You had to attach and flip a little switch. And there it was, walk in the living room, and there was Pac-Man in my house. Pac-Man. Hours of unlimited Pac-Man. And if you know anything about Pac-Man that came out in 1982, it was a real disappointment. Now his glitchy ghosts, they released it way before it should have been released. This is not a new problem that we deal with it today. And, you know, ghosts would get stuck in the tunnels, which was kind of like the fun thing to do. If you get the ghost stuck in the tunnels, then that was like the hack, and you felt like you were on top of the world. Do you remember that, David? Well, Pac-Man didn't last long because it wasn't really a wonderful game. It was kind of lame. However, also in 1982, another game came out called Pitfall. Oh, Lord. Now, Pitfall was amazing. It was like the first like adventure game. Does anybody know Pitfall? Come on. I'm talking hours and hours of jumping over logs and avoiding alligators and climbing down ladders. Dung, dung. I mean, look it up on YouTube. You will be there for three seconds. But in those days, it was the most phenomenal. I remember for hours and hours and hours and hours playing Pitfall. I would want to skip school so I could play Pitfall. Why? Because Pitfall was a wonderful game. It was full of wonder. See, part of the reason why that you may not spend time with Jesus on a daily basis is really not because you're not disciplined. Because you're not looking. Because you forgot there is a wonderful gift awaiting you every single day. Every single day. And the story starts like this with an event we call the incarnation. I know that's a weird word. Say that to your neighbor incarnation. <laughs> incarnation. No, no. Incarnation, right? Okay. Basically, the incarnation is this, and I'm going to read a passage in just a minute that describes it way better than I could. But the incarnation means that God took on flesh and kept it. C.S. Lewis says it this way, the son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. That'll wreck you all week. The son of God became a man, the incarnation, to enable men and women to become sons of God. John chapter 1. See, Jesus was born physically, not in December, but a little over 2,000 years ago, right? He was born in a barn. We'll talk a little bit more about that as we go on the series. Jesus was born physically, but Jesus always was. Jesus didn't start beginning. Jesus has always been there. However, at this moment, he took on a new nature. 
100% God, Jesus, 100% God, decides I'm going to also become 100% man to save men. I'm going to have two natures, 100% God, 100% man. I know that doesn't make sense to you, but you've got to understand that he always was. And then he said, now I'm going to become this. And what's crazy is that Jesus is still a man. He's still fully God, but he's also fully man. There is a man in heaven, a physical man with skin on in heaven. The scripture says that he's making intercession for us. That he's moved by human movement. That he understands because he's been like, and he is like we are. He's dealt with rejection. He's a wonderful gift. John 1. In the beginning was the word. The beginning of the beginning of the beginning was the word. And the word, speaking the word here is Jesus. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And through him all things were made. Jesus in creation. Without him nothing was made nor has been made. Skip down to verse 14. The word became flesh. So the word was always there. Come on, since the beginning, since before the world was ever created, the word Jesus was already there. But then he made, took on flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. What does God look like? Jesus. Full of grace, full of truth. Not just full of grace, not just full of truth, full of grace and truth. By the way, the only time you ever need grace is when you realize truth. Oh, I'm a sinner. That's right. Me too. So I need grace. Man made a mess. God cleaned it up. All right. Verse 15. John testified concerning him. He cries out saying, this is whom I said. He who comes after me will surpass me because he was before me. Verse 16. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. The Greek right here says, we have all received grace upon grace. So it's not like grace happened 2,000 years ago and then it stopped. No, it's grace is like a waterfall and it just keeps pouring and pouring and pouring. It's grace upon grace, glory upon glory, presence upon presence, more, 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 more. Grace upon grace. For the law, here we go, talking about systems, remember? Talking about a few minutes ago, government. The law was given through Moses, a system, right? Moses, great guy. What did he bring? The law. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. So Jesus shifted the system, shifted the environment, shifted the world, shifted the timeline. Jesus changed everything. Jesus still changes everything. Because of grace and truth. He's a wonderful gift. Look at your neighbor and say, isn't he wonderful? He is a wonderful gift. The second thing about Jesus is he had a wonderful birth. Now we're talking about his physical birth. To a young teenage woman who ended up getting pregnant and she was pure. And by pure, you know what I'm saying. Like she did not know a man. She was a virgin. 
Come on. She wasn't like a virgin. She was a virgin. And in order for the incarnation to happen, not just according to prophecy, but also according to physics, in order for her to become pregnant and have the incarnation for him to be fully God and fully man, then he had to be God. It had to be a miracle. God would have to come in and impregnate a human in order for a human to be born. Are you with me? And let me just tell you this. Uh, uh, for a, a young woman, Jewish at that time, would probably be stoned if it was found out she was pregnant. Nobody would believe, oh, angels showed up to me and my cousin and kill her. That's the way it worked back in those days. You know, you think you got it bad. I know because somebody didn't like your Facebook status. But let me tell you, it was really bad. Come on, no gender reveal parties. You know what I'm saying? I'm pretty sure it's a boy. Pretty sure. I mean, God told me. Pretty sure. It all wasn't calm. I know we like us. All is calm. No, wasn't wasn't all calm. No, it was chaotic. They were her and Joseph were running for their lives. But Mary knew. I know the song says, "Mary, did you know?" No, she knew. <laughs> She knew. <laughs> I mean, God told her. <laughs> she knew. Mary, did you know? Yeah. Yeah, she knew. Luke chapter 1, verse 35. I always wonder when I hear that song playing on the radio. Mary, did you know? It, off. Yes, she knew. Next song. All right. Just kidding. Great song. Great song. God bless whoever wrote that song. God bless them, Lord. Follow them glory, glory. All right. Revelation. <laughs> Luke one thirty five. the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. So Mary was impregnated by the Holy Spirit. I'm sure there was some tough conversations around the dinner table. But it was a wonderful birth. I mean, read, read Luke chapter 2. Angels singing, shepherds showing up, rich people showing up, giving them gifts. We'll talk about this a little bit more in the series. Wonderful. The most critical moment in human history. The Son of God. Coming to redeem his creation. A wonderful birth because it was not... From works, not baby making works, if you know what I'm saying. Listen, when God wants to put something inside of you, it's not going to be because you worked hard enough to earn it. Come on. It was through the miraculous grace of God, a wonderful birth. And then Jesus lived, we know, a wonderful life. I mean, we even have bracelets. What would Jesus do? Everybody wants, to, you know, not, not very many people really want to follow Jesus, but a lot of people want to reference him, don't they? Well, what Jesus, I don't know, it's pretty interesting how you're really concerned about what Jesus said, but you're really not interested in following him. So when people always want to pull Jesus quotes, <clears throat> always want to not be so Jesus-like. All right. 
But Jesus lived a wonderful life. Check us out, Mark chapter 9, verse 15. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran out to greet him. Jesus lived a wonderful life. People saw him. They were filled with wonder. They were like, this man, Lord, I've never seen. Yeah, you haven't seen anything. I mean, he's, he's kind of like the prophets, but not really. I mean, like, I mean, the prophets, awesome. Jesus, Moses, awesome. Jesus. They ran out to meet him. And not just the women and the children, but the grown men ran out to meet him. When's the last time you ran out to meet him? When's the last time you got off your phone and ran out to meet him? When's the last time you took that 15-minute break at work and instead of going in there and talking about the Cowboys, you ran out to meet him? They're, they're not that wonderful this year. Let's just be real. Will you run out to meet him? Because he is wonderful. And if you realize how wonderful he is, you'll run out to meet him. You won't care how cool you look or how sexy you look. You just run out to meet him. I'm going to spend the rest of my life running out to meet him. Because he's wonderful. And he lived a wonderful life. He was filled with wonderful words. Matthew chapter 7 verse 28 says, The crowds were amazed by his teaching because he taught with real authority. See, these other guys, they were talking about they had all the book smarts. They had all the information. But Jesus had the connection. And so when he spoke, he had authority. And he was filled with wonderful works. The miracles, the signs, the miracles, the wonders, the forgiveness. Luke chapter 9, verse 43, it says, all gripped the people. Have you ever been all gripped? You're like, oh, some. All gripped the people as they saw the majestic display of God's power. When they saw Jesus, I mean, we talk about how awesome it would be in that moment. How many know that Jesus wants to reveal himself like that today? And can I tell you today that he doesn't want to do it sovereignly by his power. He wants to do it through his church. He wants to do it through those sons and daughters of God. So a wonderful life. And then with Jesus, we see a wonderful death. Wonderful. It's horrific what they did to Jesus. Hold up. It's horrific what we did to Jesus. See, the blame is on me. The blame is on you. And that's what makes it wonderful. It was horrific. And for that, we are extravagantly grateful. But if we cannot see the sufferings of Christ as the most beautiful event in human history, then he died in vain. The most beautiful event in human history is Jesus suffering for us. First Peter chapter three, verse 18, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He's only going to do it once because he only needed to do it once, once for all time. He never sinned. The only thing that Jesus didn't do that you and I do is sin. But he died for sinners. He died for me. He died for you to bring us safely home to God. I love that. He died for sinners to bring us safely home to God. 
And he never suffered physically. He, he, he suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit, which is point number five, a wonderful resurrection. A wonderful resurrection. First Corinthians 15, verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless. And you are still guilty of your sins. See, Jesus took those sins. He took that sin. Come on. He took our brokenness and he buried it in a grave. Then he rose from that grave. And he left all that in there. He left the sin in the grave. He ain't bringing up your past. I'm telling you, if someone's bringing up your past, it definitely ain't Jesus. He's, he's not the God of the second chance. He's the God of the two billionth chance. He buried it. He buried the shame. He buried the guilt. He buried the sickness. He buried the despair. He buried the brokenness. He buried it. And he left it there. And he raised to life. And let me tell you, he didn't just eliminate the debt. He made a deposit. He didn't just eliminate the debt. He made a deposit. He said, I'm going to give you life. You're going to be able to live now, but not just life, but life more abundantly. You'll own this thing called life. You'll live like I lived. I'm showing you how to do it. This is what the sons of God look like. Look, they lay hands on sick people and they get healed. As humans, we go, whoa, that's so crazy. That's what sons of God do. We lay hands on sick people. We love people that nobody else loves. We win arguments. Jesus won arguments. It's what sons of God do. Not for the sake of winning an argument, but because we have the answer. Don't, I know that that's probably your favorite one. That means you probably need to bring it down the ladder a little bit. Jesus, come on. Know the truth. Learn the truth. So how do we embrace the wonder? Quickly. How do we embrace the wonder? How many of you want to be lost in wonder? Like you want to run out to meet him. I'm just going to keep running out to meet him. How do you embrace the wonder? How, how do we get locked in to this thing? Number one, you stay established in what you do know. What do you know? Well, not a lot. But I know, man, I was messed up. And God got a hold of my life. I was like, awesome. Talking about how much, I'm not trying to make you a theologian. Come on. What do you know? I was blind. Now I see. That's good. That revelation will change the world. I, I couldn't say, yes. Now I was I got words. That'll change the world. Just stay established in what you do know. Just keep that. Keep that on you. Don't forget that. Psalm 16 verse 8 says, I have set the Lord always before me. And because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Because I know he is here. Well, I know that he'll never leave me or forsake me. I know it without a shadow of a doubt. We had this, we had this moment last night at the furnace Great place for you to, to come and connect with God, by the way. A little commercial. Back to the message. 
I was thinking about, you know, when you hug somebody, I think about, think about Jeremy, Jeremy and I, Jeremy gives me a big old hug every Sunday. I love it. There he is. A big old hug every Sunday. I love that big old hug. But sometimes I'm like ready to go, you know? And so when I'm done with the hug, I, I give a little, I give a little, I give a little extra squeeze, right? Or a little tap. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Come on, it's a little long. Okay, it's time to let, I love you, but it's time to let go now. All right? But what I love about Jeremy is like, he's got more hug left in him than most of the time I do. So he's like hugging. I'm like, you know, trying to give him the, the, the little hint. Sorry, Jeremy. I love you. But let me tell you, God doesn't have a little, it's time to let go now. He, <laughs> he downloaded this to us last night. He don't have a little, oh, all right, God bless you. Have a, see, you. see you next Sunday. No, he don't have that. He wants us to live there. He wants you to be established in that. He didn't have a little pat. Oh, got a little, little, you know, shaking hands, you know. Someone just keeps holding your hand. You're like, trying to, you know, give a little cues. God God doesn't do that. He just keeps on holding. He don't leave. He don't forsake. You can't get out of it. You can avoid him. But you can't get out of it. You can ignore him, but you can't get out of it. Mm, that'll work all day. All right. Stay established in what you do. Number two, go after what you don't know. See, he is multifaceted, inexhaustible in description. You cannot, we can sit up here and we can say, Jesus, Jesus, for the next 50 years, and we will still not scratch the surface of his wonder. Because it's inexhaustible. It's multifaceted. We see this in Revelation. Holy, holy, holy. Thousands and thousands of years. Don't you think that would get boring? Well, yeah, like if it's an iPhone or something or an Atari. But when you're looking at Jesus, it never gets boring. Because he is deep, deep, deep. See, we like what we know. I wrote this down. This might not work. We like what we know. We don't always know what we like. But in order to grow... You got to know something you don't know. I'll read it again because it flew over my head. We like what we know. We don't always know what we like. In order to grow, you got to know something that you don't know. You want to grow? Gaze. I want to know who Jesus is. How much time have you spent in prayer this week? I want to have a greater revelation of who Jesus is. How much time have you spent in the word this week? Oh, man, I've been real busy with work. Work's fascinating, huh? No, not really. Well, apparently it's more fascinating than Jesus. All right, how much time are you playing on video games this week, 35-year-old man? Um, <laughs> notice I said 35, right? Okay. Well, like 16 hours. How much time you spend with Jesus? All like 16 minutes. What's more fascinating? See, mystery and revelation are both nurtured by the same posture. Get this. Mystery, which is important to have mystery. Mystery and revelation are both nurtured in the same posture, gazing. You want revelation? Gaze. You want to be lost in wonder? Gaze. Well, that's going to get boring. You don't know the Jesus I know if you think that's going to get boring. It doesn't get boring. I sit in front of pitfall for hours. That's not fun. Because something came along that was more fascinating. You will never find anyone or anything more fascinating, more full of wonder, more wonderful than Jesus. Never. 
You keep looking, and that's what we do. Maybe I'll find something more fascinating. Maybe I'll run to this. Maybe I'll, I'll get in a new relationship. Maybe I'll get a new job. Maybe I'll get a bigger, maybe I'll get a bass boat. Maybe then I'll be fascinated. And he's going, if you will give me your attention, I will blow your mind every day. And then you don't have to worry about straying and freaking out and having all this junk in your life. If you just stay locked in, if you just look at me, it's like the father's going, look, will you look at me? See, we go from glory to glory and living off yesterday's manna is like living off or, 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 or living, living on yesterday's revelation is like living off yesterday's manna. We go from glory to glory. First Corinthians chapter two. Woo. Y'all making me work today. Come on. Yet to us, God has unveiled and revealed them by and through his spirit. For the spirit searches diligently. Mm. I love this. This is the Amplified. I don't usually use this because it's Amplified, but it's good here. For the spirit searches diligently, exploring and examining everything, even sounding the profound and bottomless things of God. The spirit searches the deep things of God. You want to know the deep things of God? Get in a connection with the Holy Spirit. Ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit, the, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. Ephesians 1.17. Come on, just, just say, God, I want to know who you are. And he's saying, look, look at me. Look at me. Just look. He's more concerned about your gaze than you go out and doing a bunch of work for him. Because he knows if you will do it from the gaze, from the place, from the place of looking at him, he knows that your work will, first of all, be very fruitful, and it'll be joyful when you're doing it. And what we have is we've had this spirit of religion that says, I'm going to go, 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 please God, and we're angry about it, and we don't look like Jesus when we're doing it. The only thing that looks like Jesus is the actual work, but our face didn't look like it. Our attitude doesn't look like it. Why? Because we got a spirit of religion. We're not in relationship. And what God wants to do is he wants to bring you in a relationship. Then when you do the stuff, you actually look like Jesus and it's productive and you enjoy it. And you're not like, I'm just serving God. It's so hard. It's not hard. It's a glorious honor. You, you that go back there and wipe kids, babies, butts on Sunday morning, deal with crying kids. It's glorious. It's honor. You're doing it for Jesus. You find glory in anything. Stay established in what you know. Go after what you don't know. And number three, we're closing up. Just believe. Do you believe? He's as good as he says he is. Do you believe? Do you believe him? Do you believe he's full of wonder? The father was good enough to send Jesus to destroy the works of the devil, to seek and save that which is lost, to set free the captives, to provide a way for you to be in fellowship with God. Will you believe that? Will you believe the gospel? See, two things amaze Jesus. This, this wonderful, full of wonder, amazing man was made by two things. Faith. In two different contexts. The position of faith is what moved his heart. Get this. You want to wow God? You're going to wow him in one or two ways. First of all, your lack of faith. Check this out. Mark 6, 6. He was amazed. It said that he couldn't do any good work there, except for a few miracles. He was amazed by their disbelief. 
You want to amaze Jesus? Don't believe. Because he's going to look at you and go, what? How can you not believe me? The other kind of amazement that we give Jesus is when we have the presence of faith. And we see this by a centurion man. And Jesus, he said, Jesus, if you just speak the word of hell, it says, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed, turned to the crowd that was following him and said, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. He turned to them and he was amazed. See, Jesus is amazed by our lack of faith or by the presence of it. 